Let's go. Let's go. Okie dokie. My my favorite my favorite dumb quote in those games is in is in uh, uh partners in time. Whenever uh whenever they see uh the babies, Mario goes babies, and then Luigi go and then Luigi and then Luigi goes babies. <laughs> so they babies need to play that one so is is hilarious. What, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall during one of Martinez recording sessions. <laughs> yeah right. Oh my goodness! It's like we need some more drama in that first babies, and and, and a little bit more nonchalance in that other babies. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's go. Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 120 of Rhythm Encounter, RPG fans' bi-weekly podcast about RPGs, music, and sounds, and whatnot. I'm Mike Solosi, uh, not the Mike you're used to hosting Rhythm Encounter, probably, but I'm stepping in for Mike Salbato to talk about a subject very near and dear to my heart, and that is the Game Boy Advance. But who are the handheld holders and hoarders joining me for this episode? They are Greg Delmich. Hi there. Peter Treisenberg. Uh, present and accounted for. And Patrick Gann. Holding hands with all the handhelds, baby. Sure, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Patrick, Peter, Greg. Um, we're here to talk about the Game Boy Advance. Um, we've done console-specific episodes for Rhythm Encounter before. They're always really fun to do. They make you, you very nostalgic for a specific time and place and kind of game. And that mm-hmm. is exactly the case here. Uh, we also noticed that there weren't a ton of Game Boy Advance games on our master list of everything that we've ever played for uh, uh, Rhythm Encounter. So we're going to try and, you know, uh, boost the GBA representation a little bit. But who is joining me today for our little party in the GBA? Um, uh, before we jump into the track list itself, I, I wanted to ask if uh, each of us could maybe share a specific memory you have of, uh, of the GBA, whether it's a specific game or the life situation you were in at at, uh, a, at a certain time, um, because I mean this is a uh, this is an impactful machine. It uh, it basically dominated the first half of the two thousands, uh, roughly uh, around the same time as the PS two and GameCube. It was a hugely successful system, sold over eighty million units. Um, it had a in it did the unusual thing of of having sort of uh, the same um, converters and out and outs that a Game Boy Color had but allowed composers to um, keep all their samples on a four megabyte cartridge. So there was a lot of freedom for what they could do, but the outs and the speakers on the Game Boy Advance weren't great. So the, so this is a game, uh, I should say, the Game Boy Advance is a system that really benefits from using earbuds um, and has a wide variety of, uh, of different tones and beeps and bloops across its soundscape correct me if i'm wrong too but i don't think the gba had a built-in um headphone jack this was before that was like standard i i thought the eight the sp did uh i I feel like or did they or did you did you need to have like a uh, a proprietary uh, nintendo thing i think you had to buy um an adapter for it yeah okay I, i could be misremembering but i feel like this was a thing i might be thinking of putting headphones or earbuds into my ds but but this is a long time ago, so I don't I don't one hundred percent remember. But um but but Peter, uh, 
what's one thing that you remember fondly about the Game Boy Advance? Uh, honestly, the Game Boy Advance is a, is a pretty special system for me just because uh, it is the first system that I ever bought with my own money. Um, I, I would do chores for my folks. I mowed my neighbor's lawn a little bit, things like that. And I eventually got um, I got a silver and black uh, Game Boy SP. And it was just the convenience of it. It was very nice being able to just take this thing with me. Um, you know, on long car rides, we would go up, visit my grandparents up north. The backlight on that thing made it very, uh, very useful for that purpose. You know, I'd uh, take it over to my friend's house and we would play Pokemon together, things like that. Uh, so, yeah, just really special system. Uh, a lot of good memories having that thing. That backlight was crucial because um, uh, one, game we're gonna, yeah, one, one game we're going to talk about later uh, really needed that backlight and was almost unplayable on an uh, original GBA uh i think you guys know which one i'm talking about oh i know yeah actually i learned recently that a lot of the reason why a lot of those um early gba games have such bright colors was so they would pop out more on that dark screen uh, yeah and 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 and, i mean i had game boys and, and game boy colors uh dating like 10 years before the uh, before I got a GBA, I, my, my first one was also an SP. I, I was thinking about getting one like right when the SP was announced. So then I just sort of changed my plan and waited a little while to pick it up. But the backlight was really important because I really remember playing the GBA at night. Uh, I had a night watchman job in the middle in the mid 2000s for about a year. And uh, I also attended university in the mid 2000s. Um, I graduated in 2009. Uh, so I there was a lot of of, of hand of handheld gaming in dorm rooms or in uh, the middle of a in the, the middle of a dark dark facility while I'm sitting in a truck. So uh, like when I think of um, the GBA, I think of getting into Fire Emblem for the first time, uh, rekindling my love of Pokemon with the later Gen three games, um, playing a lot of oh boy, a lot of Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and um, Mario RPGs. And uh, Castlevania games. Did I say Castlevania already? Oh, wh- whatever. Uh, there's a lot of really good stuff on the GBA, but I specifically remember like being in that job and a student of that specific time, starting in 2004 when I got a an SP. You almost made it seem like you went to school in like some sort of weird dark ages where it was just extra dark everywhere, and you needed the backlight. No, I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I was a night watchman at an outdoor facility, and I had to, yeah, I, I basically had to had to um, do a circuit around the facility. Um, twice, uh, once every half hour. So I was mostly sitting in a truck in the middle of the night. <laughs> it turns out that Boktai was very literal, and you actually did have to oh, fight boy. vampires with your GBA SP. <laughs> that was yeah, that was one uh, GBA game I did not play on the Night Watchman job. <laughs> yeah, you'd lose as a Night Watchman. You need the sun. Harness the power of the sun. Just just get mm-hmm. a heat lamp. <laughs> oh, does that work? I have no idea, but I feel like it should. Yeah, totally. Gamers don't go outside. Well, I mean, it's just like the tagline goes, the UVA desk, the, the UV desk lamp is in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm thinking about this and I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the case of all the Nintendo handhelds release. Game Boy Advance is the only one I never owned. Patrick, you said at the beginning of the episode. I know, I know. You were hand holding all the handhelds. I know, but I had it, I had it twice through technicalities one is of course you know the backwards compatibility on the ds was huge i think um i think there was a point in my life probably around 08 or 09 where i had more game boy advance games than ds games in my personal library that i just played on my pink ds light which i still have and i still love um 
and you know, being able to play handheld was great. I actually in maybe around 07 also had a, a night shift job where I had a lot of downtime. And I remember playing a whole bunch of Atlas games, uh, summon night sword craft story sword something, but those two, one and two, and also um, super robot wars uh, original generation one and two. But before that, uh, and shout out to my little brother, Alex, um, he had the foresight to invest in what is now actually a very rare and expensive piece of hardware, which is the Game Boy Advance player, which attaches to oh, the yeah. bottom of a GameCube. And oh, so yeah. actually, before the DS was out, I played maybe eight games uh, using the GBA's uh, adapter to the GameCube, which I loved Super Game Boy on the Super Nintendo. I loved playing Game Boy games on a full screen and hearing the music louder. Um, I think the first game I played was Metroid Fusion. Um, but then after that, bunches of RPGs. Um, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, I remember doing all 310 missions in my college dorm room um, over the span of like five days staying up all night and just like cranking the volume, like loving all those you know, Base Escape, Hitoshi Sakamoto tunes. Um, and then Sword of Mana, I obsessed over, like, uh, so much. And uh, then all three of the GBA Castlevania games, Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, and uh, Aria of Sorrow, those were just so great. Uh, they looked so good on, like, a big screen TV, and they sounded so much better even through, like, a crappy CRT TV speakers than, you know, through the, the Game Boy Advance itself or the DS speakers as well. Yeah, the, the DS is another example of fairly sophisticated audio options through a, a pretty crappy speaker. Yeah, it's it's just wild how how that went down. And uh, I think um, I think, you know, if you look up that GBA player to today, it's probably a lot more expensive than an actual GameCube. Um, <laughs> like three or four times as much easily. Um, but it, if you want it, if you have the original cartridges and you want to experience something really wild, I really think the GBA player uh, on the GameCube is a fantastic way to experience some of these sort of bigger and, and more um, dramatic or impressive games, including a lot of RPGs. Um, yeah. I think that's everything I'll say. <laughs> it's, uh, Fusion is a really good game. I only finally just played that one actually for the first time because of um, the Switch online service. Yeah. Which I, I don't know. Is that more or less similar to the GameCube experience? I'm not sure. Yeah, I played I played it using Nintendo Switch Online. Nintendo Switch Online has um, a little bit of lag on its even its SNES and its GBA games, and I noticed that in Super Metroid mm. and Metroid Fusion little bit of input delay that's not great um that you wouldn't get on the original hardware but it's about the same cool that gives me a pass on some of the times where i sucked real bad <laughs> that's a hard um, game too you die <laughs> so easily in fusion yeah um i'm not above admitting uh that i definitely use the the replay feature more often than i probably would have in the past <laughs> i because uh, i ain't got time um i love that feature just uh, <laughs> yeah. just a shout out to nintendo for adding 
yeah. rewind. Um, I wouldn't have gotten through the first two Breath of Fire games without that. Oh, man. <laughs> those, those games, I, I, I tried to replay Breath of Fire 2 a couple years ago, and I, I'm not sure that one holds up to scrutiny. <laughs> no. I played through the first one when it was first on there. I, I enjoyed it. I think yeah. the first one's better than it's the second though. one, personally. Oh, interesting. I haven't gotten I, very far into it. So. I like the characters and late-game fusion stuff in 2, but I I, mm. I I just also think that Breath of Fire 1 is has better music, but it's also more boring. I, th- I think that's when Yoko Shimomura was still with Capcom. Yeah, Yoko okay. Shimomura helped write the music to the first game, but not the second, yeah. and it's second, noticeable. Oh, interesting. So, second one also has like a legendarily bad translation yeah it's, no okay. it's, it's awful it really you can, is there's a there's a retranslation for game boy advance actually yeah there's a retranslation um fan patch uh, that i think also fixes some balance things but uh but this is not a breath of fire 2 podcast no it's not no, we can no, go no, off. Thank but, God. Um, <laughs> but yeah uh like pat i am also a poser uh, on the episode of never actually owning a gba myself i do think i borrowed a friend's at one point but i was a, a late stage investor in a few gba games on my ds uh, which was the first handheld I ever bought, uh, or ever owned rather, but bought for myself. But I do have one fond memory of my first exposure to Advance Wars, uh, which, great game. Um, oh, and yeah. I remember some friends came up from Indiana, uh, who I'd met online through a uh, Gundam forum-based role-playing uh, site that we played on. And uh, they wanted to go to Fan Expo in Toronto. And um, they came up to visit me in Ottawa and we were going to road trip and it was great. And I remember on the road trip, uh, very responsibly, um, we were playing, taking turns, playing Advance Wars. And like my friend, while I was driving, would like kind of throw the the, the DS over to just kind of show me like, where do you want to go? I'd be like, oh, uh, look off the highway. And luckily the 401 is basically straight, but still, <laughs> I wouldn't advise it now. Um, not that I spent a lot of time, but it was it's still like a weird fond memory of how simple that was to do at the same time. And you're, but, you're just um, like that advanced wars CO and do dual strike that gets extra perception and damage bonuses for being on roads. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. See what you did there. But yeah, that's probably my fondest memory of that console, but um, there's so many good games. Well, that, and one of my very first retro encounter uh, appearances was talking. No, uh, my, my first review, sorry, was uh, the uh, Minish cat. But did, I feel like we talked about that too, didn't we? We did do it. There was a Legend Red- of Zelda week. Um, yeah, yeah we, we did a Legend of Zelda month in 2018. Sorry, month. Yeah. Where, um, where we did have one-off episodes on Link's Awakening and Minish Cap and then the longer episodes about uh, about other Zelda topics. But um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's been five years. We, we could probably do another Zelda episode guilt-free. Um, but it, it, you mentioned yeah. Advance Wars. I really, really loved the Advance Wars games um, oh, in, the, so uh, uh, in, in the 2000s. Um, days days of ruin not so much but the uh but rpg fan did not cover the original releases of any of those but there is a um a uh, review of the recent re-release um on the uh on the main website on on rpgfan.com so they are they are officially being covered by rpg fan now <laughs> and that uh factoid is relevant later but um we're not ready to talk about advanced wars yet we're going to start off our uh, music blocks. We have eight um, spicy tracks for you today. So uh, I think we're ready to start off our first block. And selfishly, I chose myself to um, kick off the block with one of my favorite tracks from one of my favorite Castlevania games for the uh, Game Boy Advance. The track is Awake by Sotaro Tojima from the game Castlevania Circle of the Moon. And Greg, you have the second song in block one. I do. Uh, I went with a little gem that we just mentioned uh, from the Minish Cap, the Minish Woods. 
Excellent. So listeners, please enjoy Awake from Castlevania Circle of the Moon and Minish Woods from The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap.
Okay, so that was Awake from Castlevania Circle of the Moon and Minish Woods from The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap. And, uh, folks, when I was talking about um, really needing a backlight for some GBA games earlier in this episode, I was really, like, side-eyeing Circle of the Moon here. Um, this game is dark and poorly lit if you're playing it on original GBA hardware. Uh, it was a launch title for the GBA. I think it's, I think it's dated 2001. Um, and it... it uh, it's unusual within the Castlevania canon at the time because Koji Igarashi did take over as the lead producer for Castlevania games. He was the associate director on Castlevania Symphony of the Night, but basically took over the project halfway through and was the lead director in all but name. And then he was sort of put in charge of Castlevania, but he was taking so long with the graphical processing stuff on what eventually became Harmony of Dissonance that a different team without Igarashi and without even Mishiro Yamane um, the the longtime Castlevania composer um, cranked out Circle of the Moon w without a lot of their influence, just on the orders to make a game kind of like Symphony of the Night. <laughs> so even though even though Circle of the Moon does not have Koji Igarashi designing or uh, Mishiro Yamane composing, it's a really fun little Z Castlevania game. Uh, I played it pretty recently, about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, on the uh, on the Castlevania Advanced Collection. So just like you know, within a couple weeks of that thing coming out is when I played it. And it totally holds up, and the uh, the music is unusually good. Uh, there's um, a lot of like bass and uh, voices you don't associate with the with the the bad speaker on a GBA, but listening to a good quality version of it um, with the benefit of you know modern technology and headphones and things like that, uh, this is a great sort of opening hall introductory t track, kind of like your you know Dracula's Castle from. Um, uh, from uh, Symphony of the Night or beginning from Castlevania 3. Uh, but uh, yeah, it has, it has bass, crunchy strings. It's, it's a great, uh, and you don't even have a dash by the time you do this state, the, the stage with the song in it. So uh, Nathan Graves has to do the old Belmont strut without, without as much of a run or a double jump um, when you first listen to this. I really like how it ramps up. Like it's. Because you see, uh, again, I haven't played any of the ones on uh, GBA, which I know is a failing on my part because I hear amazing things about Symphony of the Night. But Castlevania is a game series that was never really big on my radar um, growing up and everything else. Uh, I, I believe I tried playing as a kid on the Nintendo and was just awful at it because, I don't know, I think it's rare the five-year-old that's good at Castlevania, but I will applaud them if I meet them. Um, but yeah, like so you're saying this like is this one of the first songs you basically hear as soon as you start playing? Yeah, as soon as you have control. It's it's the it's, okay. it's basically the um the opening the, level. Is, yeah, the opening level where there's real gameplay. I think there is a sort of an intro. Uh but uh but but yeah, um Symphony of the Night was a uh, a PlayStation game that um sort of brought Castlevania, which was a mostly side-scrolling act, um action character action game from Konami and it used uh Influence from the Metroid series to make it an open, fully explorable castle instead of right. instead of linear or split linear stages. So, uh, it, uh, like, because that was a, ma a major hit, and Koji in Igarashi was in was instrumental in making it like that. Um, Igarashi took over the series and made uh, three Game Boy Advance games and three DS games, sort of in the Symphony of the Night vein. But um, this one was the sort of the okay. one that that uh, that skipped Igarashi. And, uh, oh, okay. and this is also weird. I ran into Koji Igarashi three times over various E3s in the 2010s. Um, hmm. twice, at the, twice at the show and once at the airport, where I think I might have startled him a little bit. I have a, I have a, <laughs> I have a picture with him from when he was demoing uh, Bloodstained. He was very nice, if very tired. 
Oh no, he um, he was absolutely exhausted. Was it was that the Xbox space with all those arcade machines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Xbox space, and and I was just kind of standing there awkwardly, like, do I do I approach him? Don't I? And some gentleman in the audience in the crowd took pity on me and was like, uh, "Do you want a photo?" And I was just like, "Yes." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, um, isn't he surprisingly tall for a Japanese guy? He's like he's very tall. He's, he's yeah. like yeah, no, he's six two or something, and for, which for a Japanese person is unusual. Wow. But uh, you know, and the man and the man's got the cowboy hat with yeah, he, him. He's and always it's just like he's always wearing a cowboy hat or a fedora, and he oh, he's, he okay. sometimes carries a whip because he's you know he's he was well known for being the Castlevania guy for several years. He, he exudes cool. Um, uh, I really like this song too, though. Um, I actually have played Circle of the Moon, although I never finished it. Um, I got I played it when the uh, the GBA collection on Switch came out, and um, yeah, I remember this song. Uh, it sets a very good intro for the game. It's also just a really cool like I really like the beginning of it. It's kind of got that kind of um, almost classical high fantasy sound to it. That really yeah, it fits the like vibe. Harpsichordy kind of thing. Yeah, harpsichordy is a good way of describing it. It's it's it really really suits. Well, that's what I, yeah, that's what I was. That's really struck me is like it you, hits you at first. We're like, okay, this is going to be like a nice classical gothic jaunt through this castle, and then just within like those first like twelve seconds, you, the the guitar kicks in, and then it just gets real funky, and uh, and uh, to use your word, Mike, crunchy, and it's. It just it goes like it really amps you to just get into it and, and adventure um, like it's motivating. Castlevania tunes over the course of a given game will they're always video gamey, but also slightly gothic and spooky. And um, there, there's higher energy songs like the first level is usually sort of higher energy. And there are ones yeah. that are that are deliberately creepy or uh, or focusing more on, on mood than on melody. But but this one is unmistakably beginning of the game higher energy you're just trying to whip some bats and skeletons and uh and and, and i i mentioned that I, I did replay the three castlevania advanced games over the last uh year or so um i didn't do them back to back to back i just they were sort of spread out and we and we did um cover aria of sorrow for retro encounter uh in i think it was metroidvania month so like early 2022 like march or april 2022 oh that that one's on the gba right yes Oh, that's I was conflating that one with um, Symphony of the Night. No, okay. Aria of Sorrow is the third GBA one. Symphony of the Night is the 1997-1998 PlayStation. There we one. go. They, they both they both star uh, guys with long white hair that look kind of like Sephiroth. So it's it's, was... a, it's a fair assumption. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, the uh, the run of Castlevania games on the GBA is excellent. Um, we've covered a couple of them on podcasts before, but this was the opening song to the opening one. Uh, it's yeah it rocks it's very castlevania too like it really does a good job of capturing what i know of like castlevania staple music i think you know one thing worth thinking about is that the composer is someone that i have sotaro tsujima i have no familiarity with and if you look at early castlevania first 10 years of the series history there have been so many different people that have worked on it but they I think there manages somehow to be a retained feel and essence to certain pieces in the series. And I think that that opening first stage sort of sound, you think of a track like Vampire Killer, Belmont's theme, um, Bloody Tears, you know, those are the sort of the opening stage themes 
for one, four, and two, respectively. Yeah, and, then, and I mentioned beginning, which is the one beginning from Castlevania three. Yeah, from Castlevania three, and of course, you know, Maturi Yamane on Symphony of the Night, that first track. Like, there, I don't want to say it's formulaic. Maybe it is. I'd have to go study them, but, um, like. Yeah, just right away, like you hear that bassline kick in, and then the song grows, and it's just very, yeah, it's very Castlevania. It throws you right in and goes, okay, this is what we're doing. Yeah, you know you're gonna get. Yeah, and so, um, and it sounds, it sounds really uh, crisp. If you if you buy the the old soundtrack, Circle the Moon and Harmony of Dissonance, was its own two CD set. It might be on iTunes. I have to check, um, but like has its own published soundtrack the soundtracks are really good but i think awake especially stands out as a really good track yeah i think i mentioned part of this before but harmony of dissonance was under development at the same time as circle of the moon um it had a longer development time but uh, they also focused more on the character animations and environment animations and less on the music so i think that circle of the moon had a more robust soundtrack just in terms of like of like just how much data is devoted to audio um, compared to Harmony of Dissonance. So, so Harmony of Dissonance sounds almost uh, like it has a less sophisticated sound library than Circle of the Moon, but that's only because there, there was a lot of limitations on the on for GBA development. They, they had right. four, everything had to be under four megs. Right. But um, I think one game that uh, is not limited by, uh, by budget and definitely not under the whip crack of Konami overlords is the legend of Zelda, the Minish cap, which was, um, I think that was one of the Zelda games that was co-developed by Capcom flagship. Yeah. That sounds right. So they, they, uh, Capcom didn't do a ton of legwork on the game, but they did, um, they did collaborate with Nintendo on this one. Uh, so Greg, let's talk a little bit about Minish cap. Yeah. Another one that, uh, kind of sets the pace for the game. I mean, uh, you, you do, a, a few, several things before but like this is kind of the place where your adventure really starts in earnest um when you come out uh you get in there with aslo and you start figuring out how to shrink and stuff and you know take on the whole titular minish thing um and i have always loved the minish woods uh, the i mean the entire aesthetic of minute the minish cap is incredibly well done like it uses everything the GBA has to give to give this crisp, beautiful, vibrant world. And I found the soundtrack does a really good job of complementing that. And I've always found the, the Minish Woods, that opening area of adventure and such, really enchanting because of that. And especially with the, the big and small as, uh, aspect as well. So then you start seeing everything really close up and they're just such um, know, voluptuous shapes. Like they're very, everything's just very uh, cartoony, but like, I don't know. It, it does a good job of kind of hedging between the classic 2D and what was kind of built in uh, the Wind Waker and such. Finds like a nice happy medium, and the music just suits so perfectly for exploring that area. It's it sounds misty to me, and I think it's just that little bit of like underlying uh, strings, and like there's just that little bit of kick up of the the cymbals or. Um, I don't think they're it. It's more of like a symbol sort no, of sound. I, I, I think it's like a brush on a hi hat symbol. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I really, I really like that. Oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the in the background, it's really, it's it's a really pleasant percussion line. Exactly, and it just gives it that that it perfectly captures that like you're in these woods and there's just like a little bit of like mist over the the grass and you can't quite see what's ahead. Um, it's it's suitably mysterious but not menacing. It it does a, a good job of introducing you to the adventure and that this isn't 
incredibly threatening yet, but you're still you still got to keep your wits about you. Um, and yeah, and I'm just you're what everyone else has to say, but I just I, I like I just love the way it all kind of comes together and mystifies. Yeah, you know, looking at and thinking about what sort of the the archetypes of Zelda stuff you have, especially environments. Your right. woods, right? You think like Kokiri Forest, Lost Woods, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think Minish Woods, like, is every bit as good as like, like, um, Link to the Past, Lost Woods, like the yeah, and that's a great, which is a great song. I mean, um, it it hits all the right spots. It's it's got a good melody. Um, I totally agree about the percussion. That's something that uh, you know the Super Nintendo, in fact kind of couldn't do quite as well um yeah. it took a lot to do it well there's a whole backstory there but percussion was difficult uh if you wanted to make it sound good on snes and um yeah the percussion particularly across the minish cap soundtrack is really nice um it's generally light and uh come, comes out a lot more crisp than you'd expect from something that required so much compression um but yeah, it's it really fits uh, the Zelda woodsy kind of music. Um, maybe a little brighter or more upbeat than other woods themes, but yeah, I don't know. It's I the, mean, the warmth of the instruments and the drive, like there's almost like a march to the sound yeah. percussion too. Yeah, yeah. But I really, I really like it. Um, and again, don't recognize the the name of the composer Mitsuhiko Takano. Not sure, right? what what all he's done uh beyond that but uh mitsuhiko no if for some reason you're ever listening to an english language podcast good job on this one i really liked it <laughs> it's definitely got kind of a nostalgic vibe which i really appreciate it like i don't really have again i don't have the, the visual context for this area because i haven't played the game um but um i do think i think for some reason forest areas in video games just carry with them this weird sense of like tranquility and nostalgia and I really mm-hmm. found that with uh, with this track, it's got that same kind of like, oh yeah, it it it's it sounds like I'm going on an adventure. It sounds like I'm exploring places, places unknown. But it's also still like early on, the beginning, the onset, like uh, you know, light peeking through the trees, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah. I I was enjoying listening to this. It's a uh, it's a. Uh, it's again it makes i really do need to get around to playing minish cap at some point it's been on my to-do list for forever likely won't be disappointed well um there are multiple episodes of rhythm encounter about forest themes and uh <laughs> and as we mentioned before one episode of retro encounter on uh, minish cap so peter you should play this and then listen to all of those i should i should definitely do that but yeah the song immediately jumped to mind when the episode was coming up and i was had to go check the list and i was kind of shocked it wasn't on there with all yeah like you're saying the forest ones out there um i also like how uh for not just this track but several tracks because you're able to quickly be full size and then shrink down to roughly bug size in minish cap um leading to an area uh sort of an overall play space that feels small for a zelda game but is actually kind of huge because it can since you explore every area both full size and small size uh but when you're shrinking down um the music will muffle or quiet some or or change arrangement in 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 a way that is that just makes it it depends on the environment you're in but basically just gives you a a feeling of a more tactile feeling to the soundtrack that it's that so that being in full size and being tiny size is just a uh, j- just it, it's a different atmosphere each time. 
I love it when games do that. It was a very cool decision, especially for uh, especially for a um, like early mid two thousands game. When did this come out? Like was it like oh, around 04 ish? I want to say oh five, but I, I remember playing it at my dorm in university, which would have meant in the oh four to oh six range. Yeah, that's de- that's definitely Cause right. I, yeah, because I, I moved to an apartment after the first two years. But yeah, that was Minish Woods from the Minish Cap and Awake from Circle of the Moon. Uh, but we have um, two new songs for part two. And work. this is, uh, you know, less opening stage energetic vibe and more um, quiet reflection within a temple or a shrine or lighthouse, as it were, vibe. Uh, so, Patrick, what is your first track of the episode? I picked Kenji Ito's Mana Shrine, sometimes translated as Mana Sanctuary, um, from Sword of Mana for Game Boy Advance, which is, as some of you know, a remake of the original Final Fantasy adventure for Game Boy. Seiken Densetsu 1. As a- yep, yep. This was Shinyaku Seiken Densetsu in Japan. Excellent. And Greg, you have the second track of Block 2. I do. Uh, yeah, and Pat, you beat me to uh, the mana game. I was like, oh, darn. Um, you, you were right in there with your choices on this one. But I went with Golden Sun because uh, another game that we don't have near as much representation as much as we all love to talk about how lovely those games are. Uh, from Motoi Sakuraba, uh, an arrangement by Sam Dillard. Um, the arrangement itself is called Within the Stars, and it's rearranging uh, the Elemental Stars by Motoi Sakuraba. Excellent. So listeners, please enjoy Mana Shrine from Sword of Mana and an arrangement of within of elemental stars from Golden Sun.
So that was Mana Shrine and Within the Stars slash the Elemental Stars. Uh, Patrick, let's um, start with the Mana in the Mirror. Oh man, I am looking right at the Mana in the Mirror, and I'm going to start with him too. Him, her, it, uh, you get to choose your gender character at the beginning of Sword of Mana. Um, fun fact, um, you can be the guy or the girl from the original story. Uh, so... I love the original Senken Densetsu. It's one of the earliest works from Kenji Ito, who is his name is more associated with Saga than Mana these days, but he did do um, a couple of great entries in the Mana series. And uh, yeah, so when they redid the original Game Boy game, uh, used sort of a Legend of Mana style, like art style, but still used the entire original soundtrack from Kenji Ito. Plus, Ito wrote some new songs. Um, musically, it was really it was really exciting to see what he would do. And my absolute favorite song from um, the original Game Boy game was Mana Shrine. And um, it's the final dungeon uh, of the game. And there are, you know, there's three versions of this game now. There's the Game Boy one, the Game Boy Advance one, and then Adventures of Mana which is the, like, upscale remake that was on, like, every platform. Yeah, I, I think yeah, it was, like... The mobile version, right? No, I thought it was, like, Vita and, then, Vita mo- and, and then, then mobile PS4. phones and then yep. everything, yeah. yeah. I, I remember it was, like, Vita exclusive it was Vita for, exclusive. like, a year. It was Vita exclusive for a bit, and now it's on every. It's pretty neat. It's a... It, dude, Adventures of Mana is great. Um, and in all three versions, in different iterations, different amounts of hardware available and, and different things you could do with it, in all versions, this song sounds amazing. What I love about the Game Boy Advance version is that the the main melody sort of holds true to the original's um, sort of square wave chip tune kind of sound, but with some reverb and echo put on it to soften it. And then uh, what would have been the secondary line, the harmony or counter melodic track uh, from the Game Boy version is now the sort of um, pad synth string ensemble sound, um, which sounds surprisingly good, um, especially for GBA, which I'm used to those being a little flat, a little crunchy. Uh, I think it sounds really good here. Um, and and that's really all it takes is you get that that melody and then the, the strings coming in and then backing off on that same chord, on that same note. This is just easily one of the best pieces of music like if i had to pick my top 100 maybe even my top 50 pieces of game music this song is on it and the only question is which version do i pick um and man i don't know listening to it now again like the gba version is kind of a contender even though it's sort of in this sort of adolescent phase compared to uh the original and the new version it sounds like you're trying to pitch a feature patrick i'm going to message zach right now patrick sixty thousand word feature <laughs> before new year all right yeah top 100 songs <laughs> and which version of each song this is the charmeleon version of mana shrine <laughs> i like i like that that phrasing you i like start that? using that yeah there you go or or war turtle if you prefer <laughs> but not ivysaur I will take no Ivysaur slander in this podcast, Patrick. You're walking on thin ice. 
<laughs> no, it's because Ivysaur is so good, it can't be thought of as just a mere middle stage evolution. It's the, it's the middle stage that made it into Smash Brothers, so... Yeah. Whatever. Get the hell That's out of here with, with all your Ivysaur uh, libel. No, I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying it's good. You're, mm, I, don't, I, I don't think so, no. I, I'm, I'm choosing to make you my enemy right now. Uh, I, I see that. I hear that. It feels bad. Violence. You gotta be careful about that. <laughs> Uh, but uh, considering this is a final dungeon kind of place, it really doesn't make you choose violence. It's so disarming. Yeah, I was just saying, I would not have associated this with final dungeon had you not it, described it to me as such. Like, I've gotten to the final dungeon in the original one, and then I unfortunately discovered after the fact that you can hardlock yourself. You can't go back. Uh, and that happened to me. Yeah, that's bad. I have to redo it. It sucked. So I need to replay that game, uh, which I'm assuming they fixed that in the GBA one. Uh, they warn you... I, I think they warn you about point of no return. So if you're like super under leveled, like don't go. Oh, it was it was more that I I needed a key and I couldn't get a key because no enemies dropped the key that I needed to get through. Right. Yeah, that whole mechanic changes. Sort of mana is very like loosely remake. Like it's it's overhauled from scratch. Like Adventures of Mana yeah, is much I more faithful to the original different. than Sort of Mana okay. is. Gotcha. Because yeah, I I think that's why I wasn't familiar with this song because I don't think I've actually beaten this version of it yet. Um, I don't think I gotten far enough to know, but um, yeah, it's it's lovely. It is a, an enchanting piece of music, um, and you're right. Yeah, it's got that little like synthy thing going on with it that I think is really nice for the series. Uh, it's a it it goes its own way, but still, you know, it's a mana song. I, I never played the GBA version of SD One Sword of Mana, whatever you want to call it, but I, I did play Final Fantasy Adventure way back in the day and and was able to finish it, but um. From the very beginning, uh, mana tracks have a like like sometimes they're almost unusually cheery. Sometimes they're unusually somber, uh, especially for how colorful the visuals are in these games. And this this does Amen. feel like a like an unusually calm, solemn song for a final dungeon. But because like I, I feel I feel like you're feeling the weight of what. Uh, if my memory serves of what Julius is trying to do in that uh um and and maybe the like the, the stakes of the game are sort of are have taken shape by this point so it, it it's a, a song that's sort of serious but also beautiful and uh and, and fits alongside with uh, everything the game is trying to do but I I have not played the GBA version of this game or I should say I, just, I haven't played sort of mana straight up um but may, maybe I should cross it off after I I don't know uh play second and zetsu 3 for the 15th time <laughs> <laughs> i think it's absolutely worth it um it's, it's, a, it's a great game to play um and yeah you know speaking of it being the final dungeon music of course contextually it all, yeah it's a, it's a lead up and a heading to you know him wanting to take the power of mana from the mana tree and the shrine or sanctuary is sort of all of the ancient dilapidated buildings around it because it was in this like impossible to reach land that you had to travel up a waterfall to go to and um it in that sense it it's almost like um like pure land and secret of mana um if you remember that island where the tree is there like um this sort of like unspoiled sacred grove kind of feel mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's called the pure land or holy land in some of the early games but they started consistently calling it the mana sanctuary 
in later, oh, in, in, later in later translations. So that's probably why it's either Mana Shrine or Mana Sanctuary, depending on which version you're reading. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. One thing I was noticing when I was listening to it again, um, like the main melody, yeah, sounds very mana, but there's that like do 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 Yeah. Um, when it when that part is isolated, you could tell me that that was from like um, Link's Awakening or something, and I would have been like, yeah, I buy it. It was it just struck me as a really weirdly almost Zelda mm-hmm. dungeon tune where it's kind of that reflective, mysterious kind of dungeon vibe. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, just a random observation, but uh, anyway, it was uh, nice revisiting the soundtrack for sure. So uh, speaking of revisiting soundtracks, um, Greg, you have the only arrangement on this episode. Uh, this is the I Elemental do. Stars from Golden Sun, which and I and it's, again, it's been like at least 15 years, maybe closer to 20 years since I've played Golden Sun. But is this what plays in the Elemental Lighthouses? I believe so. If I, It's been a while since I've played it, too, and I haven't finished it either. It's one that I don't actually own, so playing it through other means. But um, it's... I think that's what it is, because yeah, the elemental stars are like the four. Um, what do we call it? What are the words again for them? The 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 they called gems? No, the stars, like the, the the Venus, Mercury, Jupiter, Mars star kind of things. Um, and uh, yeah, like I was listening to, uh, I listened to like the OC Remix radio station, whatever that they have through Rainwave, and um, random tracks from this arrange album that they've they put together many years ago, uh, Golden Sun, a world re. Uh, reignited which is golden sun and golden sun the lost ark all in there um there's like two standout tracks and this is my second favorite and i just was like yeah i want to feature this arrangement it's so enchanting uh i've overused that word today but either way it is it's it's a very um it's a reverent piece of music for sure like the these things are important clearly and this song does a beautiful job of uh, highlighting the moment like it's Sam Diller did a good job of like taking what was already a set piece of music to make it even more an elaborate set piece uh, and like just that slow build yeah, like the whole song is just this beautiful build all the way to the crescendo at the end of it like it's really well put together and adds a certain majesty that the original GBA one didn't quite have but it's still very much there yeah, um, one thing that's nice about a long-form remix that uh, that's not going to be part of a video game soundtrack is that there's no pressure at all to make it a looping track. So, yeah. um, so and and because of that, uh, within the stars ends up having a like, like starting very quiet and then building and sort of uh, and sort of cresting and falling a couple times before uh, settling down for a decrescendo at the end. It's it's it, this song has a very clear arc. But it's communicating uh, the same sort of seriousness and and solemnness that Mana Shrine did. There, there's a reason I paired these two songs together in the episode. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but, that's a good choice. Yeah, but basically, like it's feeling like 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 what's going on here is very important. The stakes are very high. Uh, you're not in danger necessarily, but like big things are happening, and it's um it, yeah, it, and you sort of understand that in detail when you play Golden Sun and the Lost Age back to back. Uh, which I did a long time ago, but I only played them through once each. So it's a I. Great re- uh, no, go ahead. I was to say it's a great rearrangement too. It's really dark and moody. I really appreciate like the tone it sets. Um, I, I have not played Golden Sun, although that is another one that's on my short list, especially now that they're available. I believe they're both available on the Switch Online service now. 
Oh, maybe. I haven't I haven't checked. Um, I really, really liked them when I first played them. Um, but, uh, and, and there's a, the dungeon, the dungeon puzzles are very puzzly, <laughs> which is, I, I know, a ridiculous thing to say out loud. But because you have a variety, a variety of, like, psychic, <laughs> get it, though. Yeah, a variety of psychic powers, like telekinesis and levitation and whatnot, to navigate through yeah. dungeons, they, they, you get to play with your sort of navigation powers in very fun ways in Golden Sun. You can talk to every character and also read their mind with telepathy and, and have one influence the other, and it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's a very, very... It, it's kind of a basic RPG in some things like how the battle system works and how spells work, but there's a lot of character customization w by combining it, your little elemental spirit genies that you find. And it's... Uh, I, I recommend maybe using a guide because there's a lot of missable content in Golden Sun. Um, but it's a... But they're a very, very fun pair of games. I never played Dark Dawn for the DS, though. You bring up a good point, though, about... Um how rearrangements don't have to like adhere to the loop, but it also I find can be a real danger because there's some remixes and rearrangements that will lean too heavily on that and don't, or they get too wildly creative and off base with how they try to interpret like, well, how do I make this into a, a now four minute or three minute standalone piece? Uh, and yeah, uh, as Peter said, it's a good rearrangement. And I think that's part of it is that he uh, doesn't beat a dead horse. Like, it, like it, he finds his own voice while still, sticking to what uh, Sakuraba built, but just finding a way to make it his own, yeah. I honestly think Dillard did a really good job being faithful to, like, like imagine if Golden Sun got, like, the ridiculous, like, PS5 glow-up, and it was, like, um... What was the Valkyrie game they recently did? Uh, Ecclesia. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, um... No, Elysium. Elysium, Elysium. yeah. I, I, have, I have Castlevania on the brain. Yeah, no, Val it's it was Valkyrie Elysium. Valkyrie Elysium, which, you know, forget about the game itself, but think about what they did musically sure there. Did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what they did musically from the PS1 original to that game. When you think about the way, like, if Sakuraba was asked to, like, synth upgrade or record upgrade, like, his own music, like... What Sam Diller did with Elemental Stars is kind of what I would expect Sakuraba to do. He had, you know, Sam added the voices, and it's like it's like that like female solo choir kind of sound, like choral, like classical voice. Um, makes me think yeah. a lot of like really good Star Ocean and Valkyrie profile kind of stuff. Very Sakuraba, like like very much like, and you you would have had to guess that that's what he was going for on the GBA. Like, I think in the original, you could probably guess that that's what you would, that's how you would voice it instead of like a woodwind. Um, but still very impressive. Um, really makes me wish there was uh, a remake of those games. Yeah. Also though, I just want to point this out and I always rant about this when this comes up. So I'm just going to do it right now. Uh, when, when great RPGs don't have published soundtracks, Patrick gets angry and uh, there, there is no published Golden Sun soundtrack at all for the original game or Lost Age. Even Dark Dawn didn't really have a soundtrack. There was a promotional CD release that probably cost a thousand dollars if you wanted it and it has five songs on it. Like it's, it is shameful that, you know, I think this is, you know, I'd counted among some of Sakuraba's best work. I'd put it right up there with some of the early Star Ocean um, Valkyrie profile, 
the Botan Kaitos games, which I think are some of his, like, those might be my favorite soundtracks of his. Um, Resonance of Fate, his portion of them, the battle music. Like, frickin' Sakuraba has a ton of music and some of it is forgettable, but Golden Suns is not. It's really good. Where's my soundtrack? <laughs> I, I really should have guessed that you were going to complain about a soundtrack thing, because when you said, um, allow me to rant a little bit, I thought it was going to be about how Camelot Software has been stuck in Mario Sports Hell for 20 years. Um, like if, you, if you look at uh, everything they developed, they do almost all of the Mario Golf and Mario Tennis games, and then but then they have they do them great. Then they have the <laughs> uh, three Golden Sun games in the tw- in the two thousands, and then a, a couple Shining Force games in the late nineties. But like uh, I, I know that uh, the Golden Sun fandom, which is small but passionate, has been out crying for Camelot to make an RPG again <laughs> for uh, for ten or for ten years or longer. Um, and, and again, I thought the first two um, Golden Sun games were super good. I just ha- I haven't played uh, the DS one, and I wouldn't I wouldn't object to seeing more because again, maybe that'll have uh, all people shut the hell up about putting Isaac in Smash Brothers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and or maybe he'd finally make it. Who knows? No, but, I, uh, I know he isn't going anywhere near that because not no enough way. people care. He's he's already in. He's already there as like an assist trophy. It's like the best you're you getting, guys. It's close it, enough. That, yeah. That's the ceiling. But Pat, uh, check out a world reunited, reignited if you haven't yet. Yeah, I I think I really need to. I I like you know what OC Remix has done over the years. And yeah, and they curate some good quality. But yeah. um, my favorite track I'll hopefully bring into a future episode at some point. But. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a good romp too, but anyways. But yeah, um, Motoi Sakuraba, one of the most prolific uh um game composers of of the his era and the current era, but another one of those um perhaps even more celebrated but less prolific than Sakuraba is one Yoko Shimamura, uh, and Yay. Peter, uh, I think we have a Yoko Shimamura track to start off block three. We sure do. You know, I couldn't do a podcast without without one. Uh, this is Boss Battle from Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. And, well, the second track from Block 3 is something I mentioned before. We are bringing Advance Wars into Rhythm Encounter. This is Jess's theme from Advance Wars 2 Black Hole Rising. So, listeners, please enjoy Boss Battle from Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga and Jess's theme from Advance Wars 2.
the the boss theme in Superstar Saga is a very short little loop, but I find it to be just tremendously catchy, and it really does suit like the style of these boss fights. Um, all the Mario and Luigi games have combat that's based around landing timed button presses, and there is sort of a rhythm to it, like where you, you want to make sure you're uh, pressing the button at just the right moment to do your extra bonus damage and land an extra hit in there. Um, and I feel like this music accompanies that really well. Um, I'm also just forever going to associate it with um, a specific level in the game, just because it's um, it's the Chucklehawk Woods uh, where you first meet Popple, the Shadow yeah, Thief. Yeah, Popple's and po- Popple and Popple's partner was the exact boss fight I was thinking of for this mm-hmm. track. It's it's that one, and also the one right after it, where you fight the giant barrel of soda pop. Um, and it's just, I just, I will forever associate the, this song with with those fights. It's very, it's just upbeat and catchy, and uh, yeah, Shimomura is just really, really good at, at, at doing the music for all the Mario RPGs. Yeah, she's so versatile when you think about all the stuff that she's worked on, but when I think about her battle themes for the, she did the Mario and Luigi games, and of course she also did the original Super Mario RPG that Square uh, did. Mm-hmm. Um, she was she was you know contracted with Square at the time and wasn't freelance yet. Um, and it was when she became freelance that she was able to work on Mario and Luigi with Nintendo. But uh, you know that sort of frenetic energy thing that she does, um, it kind of reminds me of some of the faster tracks um, from like certain Kirby battle themes, and also like if you know like Yoshi Athletic um, or. Is that Kirby Athletic? But I'm also thinking of a Yoshi track. Like, there's certain, like, really, like, upbeat, uh, like, wild, fun songs from a lot of Nintendo games that, like, I feel like the Mario games don't always have. And I think Shimamura really brought it hard with uh, this track from Superstar Saga. And I'll mm-hmm. just quickly note, there is a soundtrack for um, the Mario, I think it's the Mario & Luigi Trilogy I think it has Superstar Saga, Bowser's Unside Story, and Partners in Time. It's not a complete oh, soundtrack, but it exists. Games. Yeah. Nice. So like it's a it's a great soundtrack to own. It it you know, you want to hear great Game Boy Advance music. This might I'm thinking like what other Yoko Shimamura music exists on Game Boy Advance. I really think it's just Mario and Luigi, right? It's oh, that in Chain of Memories. Okay, um, yeah, oh, right. Add. There's a Kingdom Hearts game. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, there is a Kingdom Hearts game, and that does have original Shimomura music. Although um, that version too also has the remake version, which I think is people are is going to be people's go to. The PS2 uh, version. Yeah, the, yeah, Rechain. Rechain. Yeah, that's probably more enjoyable to listen to. I actually like that soundtrack a lot, though. There's a lot it's of a good, good stuff on there. There is, but and, and even and going back tomorrow for a second though, what I do really like about the boss battle track too is that even though it does sort of have that energy, like that kind of happy energy, like that you sort of expect from a Mario game or a, a, a mascot game in general, I think it still carries with it a some air of danger. Um, like it's it's that kind of like it's it's there's I don't I don't know how to describe it. I don't really I'm not really keyed into what instruments that this thing is emulating, but the um the the beats have that air of like ominousness to them like when you like you have for all the castle themes in the mario games Mm. does that make sense yep maybe a little i mean ominous is not one of the first adjectives that hits my brain with this with this track it's it's a little wacky like the the some of the percussion is sort of that 
that you would that you would associate. That's true. Like, like the, that you, the minor key, there's in the B section. There's a quick minor key and even like diminished chord section that that feels really dark, and I think that's unexpected on top of an otherwise very sort of manic piece. There yeah, is that I, dark moment. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it is still fight music and manages to convey that even though it's got that that energy to it yeah yeah but yes but but also i i feel like um especially since the uh mario and luigi games uh the combat is often a a, sort of a chain combo of mini games where uh, in 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 superstar saga i think there's there's basically eight bros moves and then a a handful of attacks and dodges that you have to master as well Um, yeah but the but like it's sort of completing these elaborate, cartoony, exaggerated a- attacks with time to button presses. So they gave a song with a very clear four on the floor and a detectable beat that you, that you can maybe use to, that sort of matches the rhythm of the gameplay. And uh, and and, and I, I think maybe I associate this song with um, the Popple and Popple's partner bo- boss battle because it's. It, it's sort of a two v two. It feels like a more fair fight than uh, than uh, a lot of other mm-hmm. RPG fights, where it's like it's like well, it's like you're usually a team of four, either ganging up on one person or fighting a hundred things. This is the, this is a this one feels a little bit more uh, equal. <laughs> but oh, uh, and and they even get their own bros attacks later that's on. That's true. Yeah. Um. The uh the partners in time version of this is when you have to fight Bowser and Baby Bowser as uh as the two brothers and the two babies. It's a uh, that that's my favorite fight in that in that game. But uh, back to so you fight them as what? As the well, it, 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 um, it's Mar- it's Mario and Luigi versus Bowser, but both of them have the baby version of themselves riding piggyback at the same time. I was just trying to get you to quote again. That's all. <laughs> well, um, but you know, back to Superstar Saga. I did replay yeah. this for Retro Encounter um, a couple years ago on the 3DS remake, and the 3DS remake is it, it's okay, not great. Um, it, it probably could have used another month, a few months in the oven, but it, it does capture most of the charm that makes that original uh, GBA game really special. This is a, uh, th- this game was absolutely a mind blow when it came out because it felt like it felt like less of a game than Seven Stars or Paper Mario, but just executing its um, goals at an at a ten out of ten level. And the soundtrack, I think, serves the gameplay and serves the atmosphere of the game. It's a, it's a really, really great game. It does a decent job of harkening back to uh, Super Mario RPG, I find, um, with kind of how off the walls the song is. Like, there's a lot of, like, fun in those fights and the boss battles and stuff. I mean, in all the games, but, um, yeah, like, you can see her roots kind of showing. And this is, uh, yeah, it's manic. It's wild. Uh, I don't quite hear, like, the minor menace either. But like you, but the stakes are high all the same, even if it isn't like a super menacing song. Yeah, no, that was that was poorly explained. It has it has more to do with the individual notes remind me a mm. lot of the castle themes from like the other Mario games. I, I but it not really the song itself. Gotcha. Well, and I, I guess I can see where you're coming from there. Um, and it's not you know trying to diminish what you feel or think about the song. All that's purely subjective. I'm just saying I don't fully. I, I understand. Hear that the same. Um, but yeah, it's it's just um, this was the game actually that I did borrow. It was my cousin. Now it, it triggered that memory for me. I borrowed his Game Boy Advance and his copy of this game, and it's one of the first games on the Game Boy Advance I played all the way through. Um, it was it's just such a fun, enchanting, vibrant take on uh, a game I loved, and that we really were getting more until 
we got like this version of it or Paper Mario kind of thing where you're two different choices. And this one um, feels more like the, the spiritual successor to like, I don't know, Superstar Saga is a bit different too, but it feels a bit more akin to RP, uh, Super Mario RPG. I, I, I wouldn't I say that. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. I think that I think that Mario yeah. and Luigi and Paper Mario are both um, in the tradition of a Mario RPG and they inherit some things like timed hits and, uh, yeah. and and sort of the and sort of the wackiness and differentness of uh, of the new characters introduced, but they just took different paths. It's it's a it's a uh, they really did. It, it's an evolu- it's an evolutionary separation following Super Mario RPG, and uh, but only one of those two games has Geno in it because <laughs> because he moderates one of the mini games in the original GBA version, but he was cut from the 3DS reboot. Uh, to the okay. chagrin of everybody. <laughs> yep, <laughs> people were like complaining about Geno erasure on forums. Oh gosh, but it's uh, it's pretty great. Um, this song and it's one of the ones that still kind of sticks out my memory. Like as soon as those like do 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 came to my brain, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember rocking out to the song while playing. And how there's some I still can't place it to to this day. There's something about that progression that also reminds me of like some like pop song or something somewhere in my head that's somewhere in the library of my brain that I've heard and I can never figure out what it is. It's always comes right to the edge to tell me like, it's this song. And then it never does. I don't know what it is. I'm unfulfilled, but it's uh, that progression just sticks in my brain. Well, one progression that sticks in my, in my brain is all of the incredible funk guitar in the advanced Wars soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is, I, I, I can't explain it because this game is, this is a game about war with, uh, with, presumably a lot of casualties but they make war seem so cute and energetic with these soundtracks so fun right yeah um and and jess's theme is probably my favorite uh from of the battle themes um because each co commanding officer has their own uh theme that takes place during their turn these are turn-based uh um turn-based strategy games with some rpg elements but uh, which C- which CO you pick determines the uh, sort of what boosts your army gets. And just as my just is my favorite, um, mostly I-, I feel like it's because that uh, there's a lot of sort of guitar and funk and rock uh, progressions in 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 multiple of these themes. But um, Jess's sticks out to me because the very beginning feels like she's in a garage or a workshop, uh, and and she's sort of the tough girl mechanic of the. Uh, of of her country, her 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 tanks and uh, and land units get bonuses and 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 can refuel more easily is sort of her her uh, her gimmick. Is she like the tank girl, basically. Sort of. It's it, it, it it's weird. They um, she's one actually one of the worst units, uh, one of the worst COs in Advance Wars Two, because all of her tanks and artillery get bonuses, but all of her planes, ships, and infantry get negative. So and and because and because infantry is really really crucial in Advance Wars one and two, that's a that's a pretty harsh penalty. But then in the DS yeah. game, uh, they gave her a medium sized boost. Basically, they removed the penalty from infantry and kept the penalty on boats and planes, but kept everything else that was good about her. So she goes from being like lower tier to higher tier for, uh, from the game okay. from the game gba games to the ds games i feel like i favored max i can't remember that max is so powerful in advance wars one that it's almost broken and they nerfed him to hell and back in advance wars two it's it's, oh, it's, okay. it's a little sad he, he went from getting 50 percent bonuses in all of his tanks and infantry to i think a 20 percent bonus but 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 kept his very harsh penalties to artillery it's 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 sad but 
whatever. I, I could talk about um, uh, Advance Wars COs for probably longer than I'm comfortable admitting. Um, Do you have a spreadsheet? No, uh, but there's um, there, there's you know websites I could point you to. But yeah, and, but true. anyway, um, and every, everybody knows that Sensei is the best character in Advance Wars 2. If you're if you uh, <laughs> okay okay, there's two like broken end game characters, but the the best regular CO in my opinion is Sensei. Uh, he's one of the uh, Yellow Comet CEOs. But Jess, um, the whole soundtrack is super funky and energetic, and hers is my favorite, mostly because of just how of how um, how much the bass thumps and how uh, and how the guitars are sort of heavy, and it, it communicates sort of toughness and rumbling of tanks, while also uh, while also having this like just just this weird happy energy that does not match with the carnage going on in the battlefield for the for the, the fourth advanced wars game days of ruin they, they actually tried to make it more about suffering and the and the atrocities of war rather than liberating your homeland or or, or stopping an evil army and i think maybe that had to do with why it's by far the least popular of the uh, of the 2000s games and i, I say fourth there, there's a bunch of famicom wars games it goes all the way back down to the nas but uh the only ones that released um uh, worldwide were the uh, Advance Wars games on the GBA and DS, which have a recent remake, and also I think Battalion Wars. Yeah, there was a, a, a game. Yeah, Cube. Battalion Wars is connected as well. I believe yeah. there was one on GameCube, one on Wii. Right. I realize that. Yeah. Um. I, I. I don't think Nintendo Wars or Famicom Wars, whatever you want to call the larger series, has had much of a presence in the 2010s. But this recent remake. Is all right. I, I don't like the arrangement of Jess's theme in the recent remake. I think it's best on the GBA and DS, but uh, it does fix a couple of the broken parts of the original. Like um, in Advance Wars 2, Fog of War, um, enemies don't recognize Fog of War, for one, <laughs> which makes the Fog of War maps way harder in the story. But they, they uh, uh, but they don't rebalance any of the COs, so uh, Jess is, is still kind of dis has disappointing inventory. But um, the whole soundtrack is worth checking out. The uh, the original games are definitely worth checking out. I've heard good things about the remake, even if I don't like the OST as much. But uh, yeah, it's if you want a Fire Emblem game that's less story driven and more cheery, but with tanks and explosions, Advance Wars is your best bet. I really like how uh, crunchy this song is. Like it really does have that it, um, almost an industrial sound to it, which yeah, uh, fit, fits the character. Yeah, fits the character yeah. from what I've seen. Yeah, the, you nailed it with that. Like the the industrial. Emma Mike said too about like it's her working in the shop kind of thing. Like for sure, it's a it's a great introduction to this character's vibe. Um, and it's like for a second, like I almost at first I was like, are they beatboxing? And then I was like, no, it's not. It's just like the intensity of the percussion intensity of the percussion and also just how the gba sounds it but i think it makes good <laughs> use of the gba's sound but this would be really cool if someone beatboxed it <laughs> are you are you trying to say something greg <laughs> well, that someone should beatbox it no, someone, someone calls McGroove. smooth mcgroove oh yeah. okay well i mean I, yeah it's a good idea smooth mcgroove did have a recent uh um a recent return to posting he um uh just earlier this week he had a uh, a shovel knight remix that was that was very oh, cool. Nice. But, yeah, um, he had something. Yeah, he put a, a couple songs back to back. I can't remember which one. I heard the shovel knight, and then there was something else that he put up that I, re I really liked. Yeah, no, it was it was just uh, yeah, just at the end of September he started posting again. But he, um, he uh, Smooth McGroove had health issues that prevented him from updating regularly for like so, a year. Yeah. So yeah, so there was like he was on a break for like three years, and then posted a couple, and then had another break for about a year, and now he's back again. Is is my understanding? Yeah, very exciting. But uh, but but yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of 
energetic percussion and beats in the entire Advance Wars soundtrack. And uh, um, Jess's theme, I, I think it's a little cleaner sounding in the DS version, which is also very good. But the just I, the sound choices are not very good in the Switch version. I would, I would recommend checking out the DS version if you like this, but maybe not in the Switch. Do you feel like it's it's a product of like they had better technology, so they didn't kind of like test the limits of like the instrumentation as much, whereas they did on the GBA possibly. No, um, it, it felt like the DS version just has cleaner versions of the GBA sounds, but for the Switch versions, they try to make like the sounds more specific. But it almost feels like there's fewer voices. It, it feels less. Oh, it, fe- it feels less busy, less crunchy. I I I don't need to compare every version, but um, I no, I, sure. I really like the Advance Wars Two version of Justice. I was just curious if that was a uh, because sometimes like some of the best music comes out of composers having to work within those limits. So I was just curious if yeah. maybe that was something. But uh, yeah, it's it just feels like um, the energy of the song. Yeah, it's so high, it's so friendly. So like it's it more feels like kids like playing fort battles in like the yard kind of thing. It's like at recess is more kind of the vibe I get from it. It's interesting. It's like kids next door, <laughs> coding kids next door. Yeah. So um, real quick. Uh, my thoughts yeah the baseline on this is stupidly good um, yeah. if Neil if Neil was recording with us he would be going off about how good it is and telling us specific you know techniques being used or recreated through synth I mean it it really is truly impressive how good it sounds I mean this on Game Boy Advance is to me very impressive from uh, just sort of a sound creation and sound engineering kind of perspective um you know the guitar and bass i mean as a song and as a lick it it, it's just it's so catchy like i could listen to this on loop for a while and i'll be honest with you this is the first time i've ever listened to any advanced wars music or any of the wars series you know famicom wars uh Italian Wars. There was even Game Boy Wars. Did you know that? Yeah, it's, it's why it's sometimes called Nintendo Wars. But uh, yeah, weird. so I, I looked. I looked it up, and uh, guess what, guys? No soundtracks. Not not a single OST for any of these. The closest you'll find is Famicom Wars, the original from '88. Uh, there's a 15 minute compilation of ost music in it from a 2013 album that nintendo released advance wars advance wars 2 advance wars dual strike advance wars days of ruin not not a lick of published music other than uh a very very rare uh publication that came with a a a magazine in 2009 that was technically official that had advance wars and fire emblem music on it called Nintendo SLG Soundtrack Best Selection CD. Other than that, you man, you are not going to find this music published anywhere. And why? It's so good. Why wouldn't you include it? I could record a whole other podcast just on the rhythm guitar and Andy's theme, but uh, that is definitely not why we're here. Um, but, y- y- you know, um, uh, Jess specializes in land units, but I think now we need to talk about a different land. Uh, how about Riviera, the Promised Land? Oh, yes, let's. Oh, that's my other pick. Holy crap. Uh, guess what, guys? I picked a song called called Heaven's Gate of Darkness, but it's sometimes simplified, like I think in the English sound test of the game, it's just simplified to Dark Gate uh, by Minako Adachi from the game Riviera the Promised Land. 
Now, Peter, that was part one of part four. Uh, let's talk about song two of part four. Yep, and song two from part four is a doozy. This is Elite Four from Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire and Emerald 2, I think. Um, uh, ar- uh, composed by Junichi Masuda, Go Ichinosi, and Morikazu Aoki. Okay, listeners, uh, so let's enjoy Heaven's Gate of Darkness from Riviera the Promised Land and Elite Four from Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald.
Oh my gosh. You guys, how about Riviera, the promised land? Good music, right? That's very catchy. I don't know anything about this game, but the music is great. Oh boy, this game. <laughs> this so, is a sting. Mike game. seems to know something about this game, but the music <laughs> is great. Yeah, so Riviera the Promised Land was the first game in an ill-fated series that never really took off uh, from the company Sting. The series was called Department of Heaven, mm -hmm. and um, Riviera is the first game in that series. Um, and uh, fun fact, cool thing about the soundtrack, if you pick it up, there's a, there's a three-disc collection, and it's the same OST on each disc, but it's uh, the sound font and synthesizers as it appeared on its three platforms of release. Because all within the span of about three years, it was on Game Boy Advance, Wonder Swan Color, obviously Japan only on that one, and uh, PlayStation PSP, Portable. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you get three different soundscapes as a result um and the game boy advance version of heaven's gate of darkness sounds particularly good which is important to note because i think for the most part if you're going to listen to any of the three versions of riviera i'd go with the psp version it's um it's essentially the midi files minus any compression like through the best quality stuff they could uh you know put out and so for compression to be a bonus uh it's pretty rare and i and i would say a lot of the way the soundtrack sounds on the game boy advance you know i would i think i prefer the psp version but um heaven's gate of darkness they sound equally good and in some ways uh yeah just just the way the audio comes out on the game boy advance i, I think there's something really powerful and special to it and about it. Um, I also want to mention the the work of the composer herself, Minako Adachi. Um, she ran through a lot of the Department Heaven music with Sting. Um, she worked on the Summon Night series, um, for those who are familiar with that series. But um, after those uh, early days for her, um, she joined Game Freak's sound team starting in Gen 5 of Pokemon. So she's, she's composed music on uh, Black and White, X and Y. Um, she did arrangements on Omega, Ruby Alpha Sapphire, uh, and Sun and Moon. I don't know if she's officially credited for Sword and Shield and Scarlet and Violet. There aren't published soundtracks for those. Another thing I'd rant about. But this is essentially someone who would become a Pokemon composer, but didn't work on the first four gens. Um, but her, her music is, I think if you know Pokemon really well, and then you go and listen to early Monaco Adachi tracks, specifically from Riviera and Yggdra Union, the first two Department Heaven uh, games, uh, you'll be like, oh yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, no, it's definitely got um, a nice little bit of synergy now that you point that out. Um, yeah, I like this track a lot. It's really, um, it's really energetic. It felt like another Castlevania track to me, I won't lie, at first. Kind of has that vibe too, doesn't it? Yeah, and the, the song title helps lend credence to that True. soundscape. Yeah, I, I think it does feel a lot like a, a good Castlevania track, doesn't it? 
Yeah, to reference another composer we've brought up on this episode, it, this felt like an early Sakuraba track to me, like a, like a boss fight in something like Tales of Fantasia mm. or, Valky or Valkyrie Profile. But uh, I, I do have a bit of a history with Riviera. Um, I played this. Like it, yeah. <laughs> you know, I played this on the uh, PSP. It has uh, it has some eye roll anime girl stuff in it. Like there's a uh, there's one male character and about ten female characters fawning over him. There's scenes in hot springs and and that makes that's just you know very cringy anime nonsense from twenty years ago. But also I was I, I was probably in the middle of the game. I, I had uh, all five characters in my party, and I couldn't get. Uh, an S rank on the mission or the best ending or something because I had spent too long exploring the dungeon area. There, there's the game has RPG style turn-based battles, but a uh, sort of a visual novel um, click on the stuff around uh, presentation. And I got dejected that I basically wouldn't be able to get a good ending uh, because I I was wandering too much uh, when I wasn't even aware that was a system. Uh, yeah. So I so I gave so I gave up playing probably halfway maybe closer to two-thirds of the way through and uh and, and a game that I, I thought was all right but i but i wasn't in love love with uh but th the soundtrack is good and the visual presentation is pretty sharp for being a gba game um and, and but again I, I played it on the psp much later I, I think i got it on a psn sale uh and it's it's interesting um we have covered a department heaven game in retro encounter before we did two episodes on knights in the nightmare for the DS, uh, I think two years ago, and I thought about joining in on that episode, but I just I, I was busy with something else at the time. I don't remember exactly why, but uh, yeah, Sting is a sort of a very specific developer. They have a they um, oh I, it, like like they, they do very anime aesthetic, very cutesy aesthetic, but then a lot of sort of surprises and twists on that on that sort of kind of game so that they have a, a fair number of uh, fairly devoted followers. But again, I, I think Riviera is the only Sting game I've put hard time into. Wait, wait, wait. Unless, did they do, uh, oh, did they do, what was it, Something Force? Oh, man. This is going to bother me until I can look it up. Oh, was that a DS game? No, it was, it was another PSP game. Um, oh, my God. Why can't I think of it? Uh, this is going to bother me. Um, but anyway, someone else keep talking So I, so uh, while I do some background Googling. X is Force. Yes, H that was it. Hex's, yeah. Hex's Force. Oh my God. Yeah. Did, did, was it? Was that them? Yeah. Shame. It's it's not actually part of Department Heaven for correct. whatever reason, yes. but it, it is it, a sting. It's sting. Game. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, correct. Hex's Force is not Department Heaven, but it is a uh, mid as hell RPG from Sting, also for the PSP. So yeah, the, those are the only two Sting games I've played. I think. But I. But I. But I, but I think I, I might have write, written the review for that. Maybe. I mean, I, I, uh, uh, there's two main characters in Hexus Force, and it says a lot that I've played through it twice and don't remember a thing about it. Uh, literally same. And Neil wrote the <laughs> review. Interesting. I can't and think he... of anything that I've played. Um, but uh, yeah, again, like, I just, I love how the song just wants you to move. Um, like, that guitar has so much energy behind it. Uh, but there's, like, that nice kind of, like, plastic, grim fantasy whatever it is uh with like the bells and such kind of sewing in there like a little bit of that instrumentation which is really nice it's uh for a song called like dark gate which i guess is kind of where like the guitar edginess is and that almost like synthy runny like organ it's um a very like uplifting song yeah yeah i like i i agree i like the way you think sir well i think that's that's probably 
that's it for Riviera and the Department of Heaven. Now, what about the Department of Pokemon? Yeah, so do y'all like trumpets? Hell yeah, right? <laughs> I, I, uh, I, like, I like a GBA uh, game really trying to communicate a full orchestra and then working with what they got. Yep, they they sure did. So, yeah, the, Ho- the Hoenn games uh, on GBA specifically have a bit of a reputation for their synthesized horn section. But if I'm being completely honest with you, I kind of love it. And I think that the Elite Four music from this game is probably my elite favorite Elite Four track in the entire series. It has such a dramatic build up to it with that slow, uh, ponderous percussion that just really, it really gets you in the mood that like, okay, this is like, this is the beginning of the final stage of your journey. You've been all this way to get to this point. Um, these are going to be your last challenges before you fight the real challenge, which is Steven, the champion of Hoenn. And it is, or Wallace, if you're doing the, um, uh, Emerald Emerald, version. yeah. Yep. And it's just, it's an ex, it's just, it's, it's an ex, it's an excellent track. I think the horn, the horns, uh, do their job here. I, and it, I, I will, I will always have, remember this song vividly too, because I had such a hard time beating Sydney when I was a kid. My team was I, I, I was a dumb child who did not understand uh, m- type advantage and was not built to handle a team of dark types. <laughs> well, fighting is my favorite Pokemon type. Well, I should say fighting and ground are my two favorite Pokemon types. So I I think I had a Metacham or a Breloom. So I so uh, Sydney was not an issue when I played through Emerald. I, I never had Ruby or Sapphire. Um, I played the Bejesus out of Leaf Green and then got into Gen 4 Super Hardcore and played Emerald just to transfer over Gen 3 Pokemon to Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably and, would have been okay if I picked a, if I picked Torchic, but Sceptile was my boy. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the starters in Gen 3 are pretty good. I, I, I think um, Gen they're, 3... They're very good. I think Gen 3 got improved significantly with Omega Alpha because... Uh, um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I was, I'm frustrated by very specific weird parts of Gen Three, like the physical special split. Yes, the the actual the the change they made in Gen Four to that really did um, save a lot of uh, of Pokemon from uh, being undervalued. But I think this really does uh, represent a transition from Game Boy Sound to. Uh, to more modern sound and, and there's limitations here like again like the uh the, the 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 full orchestra that they want um um like like the the the, the trumpets almost sound like they're like a toy plastic trumpet when they're uh <laughs> uh and uh and the the, the 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 strings are you know believable as strings but uh they're they're not like wall of sound um ex- exactly coming from that uh gba speaker but i think this does communicate drama and uh and energy and um so and especially since like you know the the just the old pokemon games were less forgiving to players for like for what you could do before between elite four and the champion i think i think they actually heal you between the fights in the more recent games um yeah it used to be all all in one go yeah at least through gen four i'm not sure i uh and and gen five as well i don't i don't remember exactly when they started making the elite four easy Maybe it was Gen 6, because they only have four Pokemon each in that game. Yeah, Gen 6, in, Gen in 6 is only four is kind of a joke. Yeah, but, uh, but we, don't need, we don't need to get too uh, precious about how hard Pokemon games are. But um, I, I think the song communicates drama and finality, even though the, uh, 
let's say the thumping of percussion doesn't is not a believable timpani. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Pokemon music. But a lot of Pokemon music is great. So, I mean, that's hardly a complaint. No, it's yeah. not. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, you know, I get so hyped up and even a little, like, jittery, like, sometimes with these Pokemon battle themes and especially uh, Elite Four tracks, uh, they they tend to overwhelm my brain because uh, they're just so sort of fast-paced and sheer crazy. I think I like... Um, I think I like this Elite Four of maybe the first four or five gens. This might be my favorite one. And I think given they were working with the GBA um, after doing two Game Boy soundtracks, and I think that was just for the first two gens, I think it was just Jinichi Masuda on his own. Um, And I think the others joined in for starting with Gen 3. Um, You know, I think there's a noticeable difference in uh, tone and quality, which was necessary with the, you know, what we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, the change in available hardware. And yes, you have limitations, but you also have new options and and new things to try out. And if they had stuck with just like a three channel approach, like you do with Game Boy and Game Boy Color, like um, you wouldn't be able to make what we hear in this track. And so, um, you know, I, I, I tend to think about the Pokemon games and the generations as sort of evolving with the hardware itself of the handhelds. Um, and I count Switch as a handheld. Because um, I only use Switch. Anyway. Uh, Fair the point enough. is, uh, Pokemon follows the evolution of Nintendo's handhelds. And um, so the music has to follow suit. And they could have they could have lost pace here. They could have lost pace, and this elite four track to me says they didn't lose pace, and I'm very glad about that. I kind of get what you're saying about the overwhelm, but I mean it's I don't know it's no less crazy than um, the boss battle from Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, but it is like I just feel there's like there's a lot more going on because they are trying to get that fullness of I guess the, the band and everything, and they get the claps in there of trying to have like. The, almost the audience interaction of like all the crowd watching, uh, like they're trying to make this moment so much more grand than the system is capable. But it still captures it, the the intensity of it all really nicely, and it, it feels very Pokemon, even if it isn't quite the say the level of like fidelity they want. It's a uh, it's 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 a lot, and it's a really intensive, very Pokemon sounding experience. Yeah, I mean the original Pokemon games only had four channels of audio, so for yeah. Some more complicated songs like the like the classic do 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 like um uh, boss battle they would drop percussion for large uh, swaths of it to make it just so they could have more voices going on at once. Yes. But uh, with, with no such limit limitation, you get a very elaborate, very cool Pokemon song that is a clear step up from what came before. And it's it's uh, I mean I'm not saying this is as good as uh as as Penny's theme, which is like my favorite Pokemon song in a decade. <laughs> But uh, but th- this is um, 
like like it's unmistakably GBA Pokemon and extremely fun and, evoc- and evocative of, of that time and place. I agree. No doubt. So that was Riviera, the Promised Land, and Elite Four from Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald. And that is uh, eight songs total for to close out our GBA episode. Uh, thank you so much, Patrick, Greg, and Peter for um, like reminiscing and es- recounting everything that we love about the GBA and its various soundtracks. Uh, I, I, there, I probably could have gone four or five deep and still not repeated any games uh, and have a lot to talk about because <laughs> it, the, the GBA is a really uh, is a pretty rich library of um, of great games with great music. I won't lie. I kind of wanted to like keep to my like sometimes seemingly one trick pony of like ah the guy brings on Legend of Zelda and Ogre Battle, but uh, the Ogre Battle on the GBA is a very non memorable soundtrack. I find, but. Yeah. Also, the, yeah, that one wasn't developed by uh, by by Quest proper. Um, mm. um, Night of Night of Lo- Night of Lotus for yeah. the GBA. Uh, it's 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 unclear which episode it is in the Ogre Saga because they, they never identified it. But um, the, the the twist of that one is um, the main character changes his name and appearance and becomes one of the major uh, antagonists of a future of a different ogre game. Oh, neat. Uh, so yeah, check, read that Wikipedia article or play that 25 hour strategy RPG. If you want to learn the secret behind that listeners, but uh, <laughs> um, listeners, I also want to thank you for uh, joining us on this journey through the GBA. Um, and I mentioned that uh, we could have gone deeper, but we did have six games make their debut on rhythm encounter for this episode. Those are Castlevania circle of the moon, the legend of Zelda, the Minish cap advanced wars Two: black hole rising sword of mana, Riviera, the Promised Land, and Pokemon Sapphire, Ruby, Emerald. Um, so six out of eight tracks were uh, making their first appearance for Rhythm Encounter. I know that's going to make Mike very happy. But uh, let's talk, before we reminisce more about the GBA, let's talk about the future of Rhythm Encounter. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to have an episode on autumn themes. So some, I don't know, probably some chilly music, probably some harvest music, uh, maybe music that that evokes leaves changing. I'm not sure what an autumn theme is, but in two weeks we're going to find out. And uh, following that uh, in another two weeks will be game defining songs where uh, Mike and Zach's common complaint of be- of picking tracks that are too basic will be a, uh, a command and not an apology. So uh, autumn themes and game defining songs coming up next in rhythm encounter. Uh, there's also random encounter, which is alternating every two weeks with rhythm encounter. They talk about mostly recent reviews and current events within RPGs. So I cannot predict the future and and uh, know exactly what they'll be talking about uh, um, next. But I can say that for Retro Encounter, the podcast that I uh, am the main showrunner of, we're doing two episodes on Rhapsody, a musical adventure in October. And I think both of those will be out when this one comes out or or maybe we'll be sent will be sandwiched in between some Rhapsody episodes when this comes out. So uh, please listen to Random Encounter, Retro Encounter and Rhythm Encounter at your leisure. They all can be found on RPGFan.com or on your podcast feed, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. Uh, please look up all of our podcasts and give us some five out of five star reviews. Um, you can also email us at uh, music at RPGFan.com if you want to give a uh, feedback for the rhythm encounter podcast and also find rpg fan on twitter facebook instagram youtube twitch uh threads uh probably more i'm forgetting um but uh, another great way to interact with us is to wear our merch Uh, if you go to rpgfan.com slash shop you can buy rpg fan emblazoned mugs apparel keychains phone cases all kinds of stuff 
So please interact with RPG fan however you choose. The baby onesies are great. I can give a first-hand review. <laughs> Even uh, uh, among apparel, include baby onesies. I think that's still technically secondhand, right? You you don't wear it yourself, do you? <laughs> I mean, I could wear it as like a toque, maybe. I mean, or, or maybe over your hand like a glove. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking you're commenting on behalf of your baby. I am, yes. Boy, these new, these new RPG fan oven mitts sure are great. <laughs> that would be a terrible oven mitt. Maybe maybe we should start selling oven mitts. I think I think my oven mitt's pretty old and and threadbare. I might need to. I might be in the market for a new one. I, I need it. I need a new pair. <laughs> but um, we are not a podcast about oven mitts. We're a podcast about RPGs and music. And the four of us have our own opinions about RPGs and music that you can probably find on social media. So let's tell the fine listeners how they can find us on social media. Starting with you, Greg. Uh, the place I'm probably the most active on social media is uh, on Instagram. But you can pretty much find me anywhere as at Greg Delmage. Now, Patrick. So you're always free to email me, pgan at rpgfan.com. As far as social media goes, I'm on the place formerly known as Twitter pretty often at Gameadactyl. That's uh, Game, the letter O, and Dactyl. Ah, Game-o-finger. Got it. <laughs> now, Peter. Uh, well, my I am no longer on uh, Elon Musk's uh, degenerate hellscape. Uh, unfortunately, that account, uh, I use that account quite some, but it has since been deleted. So I have since migrated over to Blue Sky. Um, you can find me there. I have fury.bluesky.social uh, if you're in the middle of your grand exodus from Twitter. Uh, otherwise, I'm still kind of figuring out the social media stuff. So maybe there will be updates. Who knows? I have yet to complete my grand exodus from Twitter. I am a mess on social media, but I'm doing my best. Uh, on uh, Twitter, I am at the Real Monsoon. On Instagram, I am Evoker for Dogs, and on Blue Sky, I am Solosi.bsky.social. Um, so thank you so much uh, for joining us. But oh wait, we have one last track for you. Oh wait, there's more. We do. We. Um, and because uh, there, this was sort of a last minute scramble. I don't know what that bonus track is. I only know that Patrick has chosen one and he's very excited to share it with us. Indeed. I looked through what we've had from the past and I picked uh, Mother 3, which we've featured one song from Mother 3 in the past. And considering how much music is in that game, I I was like, oh, they didn't pick my favorite song, which is a fun, uh, sort of carefree, jazzy almost sort of bossa nova sound. Uh, This song is called Refreshing Toilets. So enjoy (laughs) Refreshing Toilets from Mother 3. But Patrick, is there a soundtrack? (laughs) There is not a full soundtrack. (laughs) Uh, There are these weird compilation arranged albums, Mother 3 Plus and Mother 3i. A full soundtrack would probably be six discs and I'd pay for it. Uh, In the meantime, you know, there's also not an official English version of the game, but uh, we're finding ways to enjoy it. So enjoy uh, from the sound test menu, refreshing toilets. As an employee of a sewer company, I do appreciate refreshing toilets. Thank you. Good night and good luck.
we get the we get the the gritty M-rated dark fantasy mana game that Hell we yeah. always wanted. Souls of Mana. <laughs> it opens it opens with a rabbi getting shot. <laughs> no, no, make it a souls like and call it Soul of Mana. So like so you I'd play just, it. You're saying the quiet part out loud. I like that. <laughs> Give me a like let you you get to choose a starting weapon in class. You get a map showing where the eight elemental spirits are. Uh you got to figure out the rest. That'd be dope. I'd be in. That'd be a nice shake up to the seat, the the formula. Call it Breath of the Soul of Mana and 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 not and just not even not even try to hide it. 